There's so much corn, we have to tie it to our we house. We use it for decoration. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and pay for it. People pay. I wish my truck was a Porsche. <laughs> if your work truck was a Porsche, you're not working. Like, <laughs> yeah. There's... There wasn't a hitch, a, a <laughs> right. spot for a hitch on his Porsche. <laughs> it was so it much, was... so much worse than I. I knew it was going to be bad. It was so much worse. <laughs> <laughs> Just sacrificed a chicken in the back of his car might have made less of a mess. <laughs> Hey there, Hort homies. Welcome back to another episode of the Take it, or, yeah, Take it or Leave It podcast. I'm Nick Farringdon. And I'm Ethan Weiss. And Ethan brought up both of these topics for us this week. I'll let him jump into uh, kind of giving the feel for what we have this week. Well, what we can both easily do in this industry of, of our time period as horticulturists, as well as what we do in the field, what we've done in the field, what we do with this podcast, we can very easily talk about things that we know about. And, and have had hands-on exactly. interactions with. You know, we could make a number of episodes about different types of perennials and shrubs and trees and where to put them and design implementation and building a landscape in varying parts of the Midwest and on your property. It's another thing to also embrace the other side of horticulture that's kind of different than what our applicable knowledge is. And that's what this episode is going to do. Both of these little short stories that we're going to talk about are two things that neither one of us know anything about, but nonetheless are vicariously attached to what it is that we are so passionate about in this world of horticulture. And one of them is a discovery story, and the other one is a... Um, Ow, ow, birds and bees, little topic on how a particular plant makes its babies. So I'm very... And that was a plant we were already familiar with right. in the plant world. We just didn't know how it procreated. Right. Or we thought we knew how it procreated. We thought we knew what there was to be known about that plant and have now learned something new, which is how that plant really reproduces. And then the first story is going to be a discovery of a new plant that we don't know jack sage about. Like we're still doing studies to figure out how it is this plant does what it does. So, and then at the end, we're going to get into some funny stories of interactions we've had with customers over yeah. the years. So yeah. you have to stick through the end. Yes. <laughs> to hear yeah. the funny bits. Yeah. So to start off, our first plant that we are going to talk about is the mimic vine. Not to be confused with the mimic plant, which is a common name associated with like what I think is sometimes referred to as like living stones, a type of yeah, a type of litho that's like a succulent mm -hmm. and it kind of looks smooth and rock like. Looks and like a kind of a big smooth rock pebble, speckled, right. yeah. And so, and it's called a mimic plant because it looks like a rock. You know, it doesn't look like it would be a plant. So this, the mimic vine or Boquila. Trifoliata. 
is the name of that. And so far, we have discovered it in the rainforest of Chile um, in South America. And this particular plant was discovered by an ecologist named Ernesto Gianoli. And while he was out in kind of doing a beaten path in this particular rainforest, and he stumbled across what he thought was that so the Boquilla trifoliata was something that was somewhat known, but not known at all to the extent that we now know about it. And you originally saw this as an article? I originally heard this in a podcast. Oh, okay. And I just can't remember which one, but I found several articles that are associated with the podcast that gave way more information than the podcast did anyway. Sure. So I think they're much better sources of information. And I'll post, we have a link from one of the many dot-coms that covered it was Vox. So I'll post the link for that. Mm -hmm. And then there is a link within that that goes to a scientific study that was done on this plant that Ethan will reference. So, And I also gave you just the link to the scientific study, too, if people were interested. Yes. Um, yeah, I'll post both. And maybe some of it might be something that you're not quite interested in. You can get the gist of it through the abstract of that scientific um, yeah. study that was released. Yeah. And the Vox article will be in a more digestible format. Right. Yeah. So anyway, Ernesto, the ecologist, discovered this plant and realized that what this plant that he thought was, was actually way more in depth. So this discovery is really coming from the fact that it isn't just entirely it's a brand new plant discovery. It's that much more of these plants that are in this area he discovered were actually of a different species. And this mimic vine, so what it does, where it normally has these three leaves and this squatty shape to the foliage, can over time learn to adapt and look extremely similar, if not nearly identical, to the plants that it is growing amongst. And so it will he literally change the shape of its leaves to look not at all the way that it normally does. So the discovery was finding this same plant in different areas that he never thought that that plant was in because it was disguised as another plant. And there's multiple pictures provided in the links that you'll link to the bottom of the podcast where you can see it all found in the Chilean rainforest. It's all the same plant, but it looks dramatically different depending on where you're finding it and that's just wild and okay. even in the same general area if it was next to plant a over here it would look like plant a and if it is next to plant b over there it It'll has look changed like itself b. to look like plant b and they've also found it where if it's growing amongst several plants it will adapt to look like all three of those plants it's wild and we're still learning about it. We don't know why it does that. A prevailing theory is that it's doing that maybe to disguise itself amongst plants that generally are not targeted by herbivores, whether they are mammals or insects. So if it, that was a first thought that I had, is, exactly, oh, is it because obviously it doesn't give it any genetic advantage to look like something not itself right as far as 
But yeah, that was my first thought is, oh, is it trying to look like something that doesn't taste good to a higher level predator? And I first thought it was parasitic. I When I first remembered listening to it and, and reading some of this was a while ago, for some reason I had remembered something about it being a parasitic plant. But no, I realized I had made that assumption because they refer to the plants that it's mimicking as host plants and usually when you refer to in a symbiotic relationship as something as the host it's because it's being fed upon by the parasitic whatever it is yeah so i was thinking you know maybe upon my memory before refreshing it before we decided to do this recording was like is it somehow absorbing genetic material from the plants around it and in that process of leaching something from that plant it is getting genetic material therefore allowing for it to like mimic and somehow take over you know like wear the mask of that plant but yeah as of right now the theory is that it's doing it to remain hidden from herbivores that might normally eat that plant so it might mimic itself as things that in that area where it was discovered tends to be avoided by whatever animals are in that area. And then they tried to test this in this study that was referenced, right? So the test was, because they're still trying to figure out how it's doing what it does. How is it this plant that normally has a rounded oval squat leaf, how is it able to change the shape of its foliage to now have three points to it or become elongated with like one giant lobe or to grow multiple lobes and almost looks nothing like the original leaf anymore like how is it doing that is it just by growing in close proximity to the plant is it able to pick up some level of some sort of like chemical phytochemical yeah that is being released from nearby plants and it can now sense that and start to slowly change its genetics what is it is it is it able to pick up enough genetic material from the root system that's next by you know and the touching of the roots is there some level of communication that is happening that it is now able to slowly take that information from the roots and change its foliage above still not knowing exactly why it's doing this And they Um, tested this in a couple different methods. Right. right? So, yeah. So one of the the experiments, you know, what they've found already just in nature was it changing its appearance in nature. You know, they find it here and it looks like this plant. We find it here and it looks like this plant all over uh, this massive widespread area in the rainforest. But they've also done actual studies where they have grown it next to plants in controlled environments and watched it uh, next to them not touching right so they eliminated the touch right like is it communicating through touch right and they realize like okay even not growing next to each other the mimic vine will still slowly shape itself to look like the other plant so then feeding into the hypothesis of maybe some sort of phytochemical release from this plant that is recognized by this plant or vice versa and they found that in multiple different plant studies it has adapted to change in that controlled environment in that controlled environment on top of what we've seen in the natural environment but the most interesting The real kicker. Oh, man, this is so cool. So they've also now 
to try to narrow down how this plant is doing this. One of the theories was, and this has been an idea that's been kicked around for many years, and this plant was discovered in the capacity that it could shapeshift like this about eight, nine years ago now. So less than a decade, I think, at this point Mm -hmm. um, was when it was discovered that it was a shapeshifter. Mm -hmm. So what they've done in testing this theory of do plants have a level of eyesight? And of course, you can't go into this with the idea of this plant having this big blinking eyeball. This idea of plants and eyesight is dramatically different than how we would view mammals or birds or fish and their eyes. Very different. So the way that they tested this theory, and it gives credit to the possibility of this. Because this plant is perfect what plant. they found, the perfect one to try to run this experiment. Yes. So they grew this plant in the same proximity in a controlled environment with an artificial plant. And they had this artificial plant. Just a fake plastic plant. Yep. Away from, once again, not touching to eliminate the possibility of, is this plant able to have somehow feel out the shape of a plant and then mimic the shape? I don't know how that would happen either, but that's also a really cool theory as well. So to eliminate the possibility of it being able to touch the plant and get some sort of sense as to what that plant looks like, therefore be able to mimic it, they kept the artificial plant out of reach. And because it's artificial, the idea of some sort of phytochemical right. receptor right. exchange, some sort Gases, of chemical exchange, anything, nothing is, is being released. And what they found... Hey, Ethan, do you hear that? What? Oh, it's an ad. Real quick, thanks for listening to our episode today. You can stay in touch with us by supporting us on Patreon. We are at patreon.com slash take it or leave it. And we'll have bonus content on Patreon for all of our subscribers there where you can get extra episodes and snippets from the show that we don't release to all the other platforms. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at Take It or Leaf It Pod. And you can also visit our website, takeitorleafitpod.com. If you have any questions or comments or any stories you'd like us to research or talk about, or hell, send us a picture of a plant you want us to identify, you can send that information to show at takeitorleafitpod.com. You can also follow us on our individual Instagrams. I am at Hortwise, H-O-R-T-W-I-S-E. And I am at N Farringdon, N-F-A-R-R-I-N-G-D-O-N. Thanks so much. We'll get back to the episode. Oh, you got me. (laughs) And what they found was the mimic vine started to look like the artificial plant. As it grew closer to it, it looked more and more and developed more and more foliage to mimic the artificial plant therefore giving some bit of credibility to the hypothesis of maybe there are some plants that have developed some level of sight. Some sort of ability for visual perception right? in some way other than what we know. Right. And that's, come on, that's freaking cool. Yeah. You don't even have to enjoy plants on the level that you and i do to 
really like kind of like the carnivorous plants episode. Just be fascinated about a plant that has evolved to get sustenance from eating another plant to like, another uh, to eat an insect. Uh, yeah, to eat another insect. But now having this more knowledge is kind of in the bank of man. Plants deserve way more credit than they than they deserve, or that <laughs> plants deserve way more credit <laughs> than they deserve. They deserve way more credit than we give them sometimes with knowing this now that there is a plant that it's already fascinating enough that it can mimic a plant however it's doing it by touch by and not just chemical one response, plant it can mimic mi- many and many, many sometimes at the same time right but now to know that it can mimic an artificial plant without ever touching it or interacting with it in a totally controlled brand new environment that it will grow and start to look like that artificial plant. And now that's kind of freaky that it, it is. I mean, it it's, there's a origin story there of right. the gray aliens. They, <laughs> yeah. they planted this plant about 10 years ago, right I around think. the time of the brambles. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's all this long right. the carnivorous brambles and plants that can start to mimic things. Eventually we're going to start seeing the jolly green giant, Right. Little did we know that the Jolly Green Giant was foreshadowing right. our future. <laughs> but so I think the other thing for me, too, is then because it could mimic the artificial plant, which I, I assume they maybe used a plant that doesn't look like things it would typically find in its own environment to mimic. That's if a good it, question that if I don't it know could the answer just, to. Yeah, I, because my question then is if it will mimic a random artificial plant that maybe doesn't necessarily look like any of those other plants it would typically interact with in its normal environment, does that potentially make it even more of a question as to why it transforms itself to mimic? Because if it's mimicking something that isn't even present in its naturally evolved ecosystem is the reason it's transforming not at all related to avoiding a predator. It's sinister. Because why why would it mimic a plant that isn't at all native to its area mm-hmm. if the reason it's mimicking things in its area is to avoid a predator? Why does it want to change its shape like that? And we don't know anything about it. There has yeah. been little new information, little if any new information about why it's doing what it's doing. We're just all still, even the people who are studying it, are we're all very much in the fascination mindset of what it's doing. And who knows? And that's so cool and kind of scary. And oh, wait, I wanted to do like a, a creepy like. Yeah. And then <laughs> yeah. I started to go Jeopardy and uh, I didn't know where to yep. go. I was like, do, do, do. And I was like, oh, shit, I don't know my doo-doos yeah. very well. So <laughs> that's why I'm not doing anything with the music soundboard. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that story. Yeah. Kick it into the next one. I think so. Okay. So the next story here, teased already, maybe yep. once or twice. We've referenced it. I think it's on our website, too. Yes. Yes. And we're just now getting to it. Episode something. Something teen. teen. Yeah. Something <laughs> mid-teens. <laughs> So this is about the pollination of seagrass. And Would this... you think seagrass, underwater plant, do they... 
how do you do pollen underwater? Everything is submerged, no wind, mm-hmm. like a typical above ground. It's a very, you told me about this story, gosh, many months ago, probably the first time we ever mm-hmm. discussed it. And I guess it's something I never really would have thought of, of how when you're an underwater aquatic plant, how do you go about being Making pollinated? Babies. Yeah, being pollinated and reproduced. Like, are you producing a seed still, even though, you're, you know, it's just a very unusual topic to think like it's just so out of our environment that it's like oh that's kind of never really thought about that before right and you know for as far as above you know terrestrial grass that there's many 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 species of you know we have an idea of uh, and or we flat out just know how it happens it produces Mm -hmm. a flower and that flower spreads its pollen via wind or an insect goes to it, gets covered in pollen, and then transfers that pollen to the next grass flower that it interacts with. Right. So we piece can, of cake. Yeah, exactly. We understand it. And yeah. so we we as a generality, the people who are marine biologists or oceanographers, for many years they kind of assumed that ocean grass did it the same way. And while there's no ocean insects that are necessarily going there and pollinating, at least that's what they thought. They thought, oh, well, just like wind can transfer pollen from terrestrial grass to terrestrial grass, that maybe just the ocean waves are doing Mm -hmm. the same thing. And just with the natural ocean currents, that grabs the pollen and transfers it to another seagrass that is along that same ocean current. And that was the prevailing theory that stuck for many years and no one felt it necessary to put any other time, effort, research into it because it was like, what's the point? You right. know, we know how it works. Well, and then, so you initially heard about this through one of NPR's podcasts, Shortwave, right? right? And they did this really cool episode about this where they just briefly talked about it. And then I researched it further and read far more about the in-depth kind of study that this particular Mexican oceanographer did and her discovery of this. And it's just fat and, and how far she pursued and persevered through being told, no, stop it. You don't know what you're doing. Like it doesn't matter. And she just knew that there was something special about this and that it was going to lead to the discovery of something that we didn't know. And because she did, now we understand and know something about a life form on this planet that we, previous to her discovery, we wouldn't have known. And maybe no one would have figured it out or would have been many years before someone did. So anyway... What was the original title of that episode? And I'll post a link in our episode description as well so you guys can listen to their... Yeah, that was so Shortwave, NPR Shortwave. And the title of the episode, which came out on October 23rd of last year, so October 23rd, 2022, New Discoveries in Underwater Plant Sex. Ooh, spicy. Spicy. (laughs) (laughs) So the oceanographer... Her name is Vivian Solis Weiss. And, uh, and who was the interviewer? Regina 
Barber okay. was the host and interviewer of this particular episode. There's several different hosts that'll do these things. So this particular one, Regina Barber and Vivian Solis Weiss is the oceanographer. And she discovered this kind of by happenstance. She talked about another colleague who had contacted her saying, hey, what do you think about this particular creature that's interacting with this seagrass? And it was what is referred to as a polychaete. And it's a sea worm. And poly- in the family of a sea cucumber, I think right? they, they are cousins. It's kind of a similar shape-ish, but they have these fun-looking kind of... They can have these very wild structures off their body. Frilly, fan-like things that grow off of their body. Almost like a protrusion from like like an antler or the kind of funky shapes you see off of some caterpillars. Right. Yeah. Yes, I was looking. So yeah, marine invertebrate called polychaete or also known as marine worms. And if you look up pictures of them, they can all sorts of colors. Yeah. Rainbow assortment of. But roughly the size of a sea cucumber, right? Like, yeah. What? Six. Few inches. Handful the, of there's inches probably long. varying ones. To, yeah. And there's no specification as to if there is necessarily a specific species that was coming to it. But there are ones that are really small, maybe a few centimeters to ones that would be a few inches. Sure. But something to very easily see. With the naked eye. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this colleague of Vivian, Dr. Vivian, said, hey, what do you make of, I've noticed this interaction that's happening between these marine worms and this seagrass. And given that Vivian, compared to her colleague, had much more interest or experience or background in studying the ocean foliage, she delved into this. And upon many hours of being underwater and watching what's happening with these certain seagrasses, she discovered that these marine worms were coming out at night when the male flowers were blooming of and this they bloom particular seagrass. Very close to the seafloor. Right. Not at all like the plumes, the flowers on grass that we know, which is on the very tip or up, usually towering above the foliage. Mm-hmm. This is now at the bottom of the foliage, sitting at ground level, which now makes sense because that plant likely adapted to do that, knowing how it was going to find a way to be pollinated. And so the male flower in particular opens up at night. And that's when these polychaetes, these marine worms are active because there's far less predators for them to have to worry about. And so they would find their ways through the flowers. And so what she discovered was they were interacting with the flowers and eating the pollen that was tucked in these flowers. And in that process of eating the pollen, it's getting on their skin and it's getting in their kind of frilly appendages And then as they did their thing and moved around and interacted with other flowers of the plants, they were inadvertently pollinating them, transferring the pollen on their body from flower to flower of this seagrass. And therefore, she discovered how seagrass was being pollinated. Or at least this particular type. Right. And potentially many, many varieties of seagrasses. Mm -hmm. Therefore, Kind of and and what was so interesting about her story, which they don't really go into the podcast, and if you read it, you know you read her story, 
what she went through and her going to, in particular, she references going to the U.S. Marine Biology Institute. I'm now I'm totally blocking the name of that, but we'll have links listed. Yeah, I'll put a link to the text article sure. and the transcription of the episode as well as a link to the episode itself. Right. And she was shunned away. And they were like, no, 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 you don't know what you're seeing. That's not enough proof. That's a loose hypothesis. There's nothing that you've told us that's going to convince us that it's not just ocean currents that are pollinating the grass. And she just had to keep digging and, and finally got video evidence of this particular thing actually taking place and finally was able to provide hard proof that couldn't be pushed aside. And now she's recognized for discovering this new thing in the field of marine horticulture. And that's how this particular plant is pollinated. And that's so much, that's so important to truly understand a plant for you to know how it reproduces. And for us to just assume for so many years that we had the knowledge and knew how it was. Ah, this is probably it. Right. This is it. This is fine. Right. And kind of defeating the purpose of science. And that's, you know, horticulture is a field of science. And it's not always a perfect science. Sometimes there's just really good educated guesses is, is what we can well, put up with. Just like any field. Exactly. Yeah. But she got the hard evidence showcasing this symbiotic relationship between these marine worms and the seagrass flower. And now we know how it is pollinated. And maybe that's not as exciting as this plant that is a shapeshifter, but it's nonetheless a very... Nonetheless, it's it's very much what it is that I feel like we're doing this podcast for is to not just talk about things that, like I said before, what we know about, but to bring to light things that we also get excited and that we are passionate about in this industry. And I like being able to share to our listeners that while we may be telling you something that you didn't know about, you're never a know-it-all in this field. And there is so much to learn all the time and that I can just be and you can just be as excited about learning something new in this field as anyone else listening to this or anyone else in the field who has a passion for it. There's always something really cool to discover. And we just we just really scraped the surface yeah. on on. We know how we know a shitload about how to grow corn, but right. it's just like. There's so many other intricacies in this plant world or what, what was the other th- one of the things we talked about, you know, it's really off tangent here, but you know, there's what, 30,000, 40,000 edible foods on the plant species of foods on the planet. And we eat like 200. So- yeah. Yeah. Of the amount of edible plants we only cultivate on like a sizable commercial scale, like a couple hundred, depending on what source you look at. There are essentially tens of thousands of plants that are edible for humans, and yet we really only grow dozens, a couple hundred of them for food. And then when you really narrow it down, like 40 or 50 percent of that is corn, soy, rice and wheat. So like like the point that I'm making is like all this time and energy can be focused on certain plants that we end up knowing so much about. We end up learning so much about them that we can now genetically modify and tweak and hybridize them to suit our needs, much like we've done with the apple throwback to episode one. 
but yet there is a never ending amount of new knowledge that we can acquire from even as something as simple as knowing how a seat, who knows what that knowledge will benefit us or how it will benefit us down the road. The fact that we know it is still a fascinating thing. Yeah. So those are my two off the beaten path, very different than a house plant or how to grow your tomatoes or what hydrangea fits best in what part of your yard or what's our favorite perennial and why do we hate delphiniums is something that is just so off the beaten path that I was very excited to talk about. Yeah, 100%. So moving on to something that uh, is now, again, very different than the original topic, but it's going to be a lot of fun for us to talk about. Yeah. It's kind of like a we're telling goofy stories, but it also gives us like an opportunity to vent about some of the ridiculousness <laughs> that we experience in. So every once we in just, a while we're talking and we're like, oh, remember that one time I had this crazy thing happen while interacting with a customer or a client or something, whether it's at a greenhouse garden center or mm-hmm. a landscape client, whatever. And sometimes some random bit of conversation about our experiences in the field will spark a memory of a hilarious encounter and right. we'll we'll just note those down every once in a while and so we have three different or little... we've told them so many times it's like permanently in our memory yeah. bank now yeah yeah so it's like yeah here we are we're going from things that we don't know about to things that we are so experienced about we just have stories on the tip of our tongues ready to talk about right and that is what, what should we call it? just bizarre encounters in garden centers <laughs> bizarre encounters of the garden center of kind yes <laughs> perfect yeah oh i've done so much talking now so uh, should i do mine yeah you'll have to talk about your wild interactions of the garden center kind so this one was specific to a garden center and it, oh it took place <laughs> yes thank you <laughs> starting off strong <laughs> This one in particular started, this was kind of a fall season thing. So season's kind of winding down before winter, getting into the time of year to get your mums and your ornamental peppers and cabbages and annual Rudbeckia, black-eyed Susan stuff, you know, for all of your oranges and reds and yellows and fall plants and straw bales and all that stuff. Oh, it's this one. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. And so one of these things that a lot of garden centers carry as a fall plant decor related thing is corn stalks. Like bundles. Yeah, bundles of like, yeah, yeah. A handful of corn stalks strung together and you can whatever, put those to decorate your front porch. This is probably a pretty Midwest thing for those of you who live on the East Coast or West Coast. I'm guessing... We have a little They're bit of extra not, corn here yeah, in yeah. the Midwest that we just are like, what can we do with this? Yeah. If we you can live lean in Maine, it up against I don't our know house. If you're doing this. Yeah. yeah. We can tie it to our front porch posts and our light posts and, and use it to decorate with pumpkins for Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm guessing if you live in like Florida or Maine or Washington state, maybe this isn't a thing. You're laughing and feeling justified in your stereotypes against the yeah. Midwest. Yeah. 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 There's, <laughs> there's so much corn. We have to tie it to our we house. We use it for decoration. Right. <laughs> And pay for it. People pay. <laughs> like, how much was a bundle of corn stalks? Like, 10 uh, bucks? No, it wasn't that bad. No? Okay. Um, I want to say it was in the ballpark of, like, s- 
six to eight dollars. Yeah. Moral of the story is go cut some out of a field and take yeah, it. Just home. steal it from a local <laughs> farmer. No, no they're fine that. with that. <laughs> Make sure it's a commercial there's, farmer. There's probably no. not any chemicals sprayed on it either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the garden center that I worked at had these corn stalks. And on this particular day, someone came into the store. I was working the front that day and they happened to, you know, come up to me first and they said, we want to buy a bundle of corn stalks. I said, okay, because outside all day, it had been a freezing cold and pouring rain to various levels all day long. And probably for a couple, I mean, it was a rainy, rainy, crappy, abysmal fall day, windy, whipping around, like just not a good day to be outside. And all these corn stock bundles are stored outside. You know, they're they were outside. They're displayed. so mushy this time of year. This is gross. <laughs> these corn stalks are floppy, <laughs> dripping, soaking wet. And the guy says, I want to buy a bundle of corn stalks. And I go, okay, but, you know, it's it's been pouring. Like, do you want me to bag them? We had kind of these flat laying plastic bags to bundle up containers for trees and shrubs or whatever just to kind of keep dirt out of people's cars or lay them down in a trunk flat or whatever um, just to keep people from messing up their cars he goes nah it's fine he goes I'll I'm in an SUV he goes I'll pull up in the SUV and you can just throw them in the back of the SUV now keeping in mind these are field corn stalks so they're seven feet tall Mm -hmm. like the Pretty much the full length of the inside of an SUV. Like, you know, in my mind, I'm already thinking this is a bad idea because they're, again, sopping, dripping wet, and they're just leaning up against the ground. So all this pouring rain, the bottom... Not to mention just being filthy, dirty because right, they're are only outside. with dirt and, yeah, because it's been pouring. And I ring him up and I walk out to the cornstalk area and he's gone out to the parking lot to get his car. And he pulls up... In a brand new Bentley SUV. Like a $90,000 Oh, $120,000 easily. $120,000 vehicle, most likely. I mean, I don't know the exact price of these, but they're well over $100K. Maybe he got it lightly used for $85,000. That thing <laughs> was so new. it You could smell the newness before he, you opened the door. I mean... If you told me he bought it that day, I'd believe you. Like, it looked like nobody had ever been in that car before brand new. Maybe it was a rental, and so that's why he didn't give a crap. (laughs) I think maybe he had the back seats folded down. I can't remember. But again, these are seven. He was borrowing his boss's car (laughs) as like a last ditch (laughs) middle finger. I don't know. (laughs) But so he then, again, was totally fine with me running a bundle of sopping wet corn stalks <laughs> all the way up to basically touching the front dash of the car. <laughs> so through the whole middle of the seat, over the middle seats, center console, just, I got inside. I can't remember who I told about this first. I was like, I feel like I should have just taken his keys. You can't have this car. <laughs> if you're going to treat this <laughs> luxury vehicle this way, you can't. Mm-mm. You can't do this. You can't Mm-mm. have this anymore. <sighs> Must be nice. Did he did he show any signs of regret? He did not care at all. Wow. No. It was just like, don't care. Don't care. 
He probably just threw the car away when he got home. Yeah, this is his <laughs> right? extra one. Right. That was his work Bentley. Yeah, right. Yeah. Which leads me to my story. Okay. Of, you know, I'm assuming that this guy was in the medical field given that he was wearing scrubs. Okay, sure. And he comes into this garden center that I'm working at and he wants two crotons, some of our favorite plants, if you have listened to our house plant episode. Big, colorful, um, tropical foliage plant. Now, fun for outside, which is what he wanted. Right. Just We just don't like them for inside plants. But I digress. So we had these in huge 14-inch containers. These were massive crotons. They probably, the plant itself was probably in the ballpark of two feet wide and almost two feet tall if not two feet so basically in the container standing what three three and a half feet off the ground easily yeah very large plants and he wanted two of them and on this day that he came in was a wet rainy day (laughs) a common tradition here noticing a pattern here yes so this wet rainy day where these plants were thoroughly saturated and both of them had been sitting because they were so large and heavy they weren't going to go on a table for display they were sitting like on the end caps on the ground of these tables outside and he picked the two that he wanted and i am the one who's assisting him they called me over the walkie and they needed loading assistance and part of my job security is being able to lift heavy things getting exhausted on my way there to do it but at the very least I can lift some heavy things. Oh, and I'm tall, so I can get hanging baskets down. <laughs> so it's like all I'm really good or for. Or pick the apples center. in a parking lot. I like to think it's they <laughs> like me for my knowledge. No, it's just like Ethan can lift heavy things. Ethan can go get that hanging basket. <laughs> Whatever. But I answer the call and I follow him with the big push cart of these giant, massive, heavy crotons back to his car. And we stop at a Porsche SUV, the Porsche Cayenne, I think. Yep. Also looked brand new. And again, a hundred thousand plus dollar SUV. Right. Yeah. And he opens up the back hatch and has his seats down already. And it's no covering, no blanket, nothing. I say, would you like me to get some plastic sheets to lay in the back of your car? And he says, nah, this is fine. I was like, they're really dirty. I was like, these are going to have muddy bottoms. And, ooh, that's a good band name. And, <laughs> sorry, I got distracted by myself. I'm like, muddy bottoms. So these two Crotons had muddy bottoms. And I can't stop saying it now. I just want to keep saying that. Anyway, I, I ask him if, if he needs plastic. He says, no, no problem. I explain to him they're super messy. He says, this is my work truck. I'm like, I don't think you know what a work truck is supposed to be. (laughs) I wish my truck was a Porsche. (laughs) If your work truck was a Porsche, like you're not working. Like, (laughs) there's there wasn't a hitch, a a spot for a hitch on his Porsche. You didn't have his trailer with him that day. It had like maybe a three by three space in the back of it to store stuff, and. He says, nope, this is my work truck. And I said, okay. And I I pick up this giant croton and I put it in. Which the, probably weighs, what, 40, 50 pounds? Oh, it's probably more than that. Okay. They were saturated. Yeah. And still dripping water. Right. And I pick it up and I put it in the back of his car and I go to. <laughs> on the carpeted mat, On I the assume. carpeted felt mat. Right, right, right. 
and I push it back <laughs> to make room for the second. <laughs> and it just leaves this massive brown muddy stain. Just a whole streak a where you pushed big it. Big old shit stain all across <laughs> the back of his car. And he realized he made a mistake. Yeah. Uh, he had plenty of opportunities to not make that mistake. But yeah. for whatever reasons, I don't know, his flex of this is my work truck and just being maybe overly proud of showing off his Porsche Cayenne and the look on his face was sheer regret of what just happened. And now this is the opportunity where he could say, actually, I would like some plastic. <laughs> now there's this. Because you've only loaded one. <laughs> and I'm waiting. I don't offer plastic again. I'm now There's this awkward time lapse that exists now yeah. where I'm looking at him looking very shocked I'm looking at him while he's looking at what just happened in the back of his Porsche and waiting for anything. And I'm just standing there and he's just looking at it. And then he makes eye contact with me and I kind of do like this head nod thing. Like, tell me now what you want. Like, Told you so. Right. Do you like, want to change things now up? <laughs> or rest, you know, like just let it slide. And he doesn't say a thing. So I pick up. He had time. This isn't just like an immediate. Right. There was several seconds. Many, of many, many seconds of waiting for him to say, you know what? You should go grab some plastic. Like, okay. <laughs> and he doesn't. So I pick up the second one. I put it in the back of his vehicle. <laughs> and you scoot it back. And I push it back so that just far enough so that the, the hatch would close. Yeah. And doesn't smush all the croton foliage. And once again, leaves another huge mud stain in the back of his car. Not to mention, these plants are still draining water. Right. <laughs> and he is now a couple shades lighter than he originally was. And I guess the pride in him just couldn't own his mistake that he had made. And he looks at me and he says, thank you. <laughs> and I said, in the most deflated way, <laughs> I said, you're welcome. And <laughs> have a good day. And he said, okay. And, <laughs> and he left. And, and I have told everybody that might find enjoyment out of that story, that story. Yeah. Because it was, and then also finally got to laugh because the first time when I made a two foot by 12 inch muddy wet stain in the back of his Porsche, it was so hard not to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> You had tried so hard to tell him the right thing to do. You don't want to do this. And then it it was so it much was... so much worse than I, I knew it was gonna be bad. It was so much worse. <laughs> so much mud. Like you might as well have taken a shovel full of mud and thrown it, it in the back of the car. <laughs> Just sacrificed a chicken in the back of his car might have made less of a mess than what those crones did. So, uh, yeah, that's my uh, little fun. And, and I think 
Gosh, most of these stories do kind of, and there's so many more we could rattle off, but I have so many stories of the ridiculous loading, like the things that are getting loaded in people's vehicles Yeah, that never, so many people with nice, really nice high-end vehicles, at least in my experience in garden centers, just don't care. Yeah. You know, and then sometimes the people who just kind of have like a, not like a hundred thousand dollar car, they're like, I need 45 rolls of plastic three rolls of burlap, all the cardboard boxes you have, <laughs> because if a single speck of dirt lands on my seat, I am going to come back here and I will have your job. You right. know, it's just like, and then some of these people with, I guess, just a measurable amounts of disposable income are just like, yeah, screw my car. You know? Well, I mean, it reminds me of, wait, this is another loading related thing. This was at a nursery uh, where we both worked. And I think this guy, was it this guy that came in two separate times this happened or maybe just a similar? One time it was with you. The other time it was with me. Same guy. Same guy. So. And he is a jerk and I don't care about pulling. That's a That's a me calling him only a jerk. Right. Is pulling a punch. So guy comes in and buys a like what? Three to four foot. Ball and burlapped. I want to say it was like a four. It, le- it was at least a four yeah. to five foot. Because they were pretty beefy. I think mine was a little smaller, maybe. Okay. The my, the incident that I was involved in. Okay. But so he buys this spruce. And it's a bald and burlap spruce. And so a bald and burlap tree, they dig these out of the field, wrap the root ball. Uh, and this was probably, what, a... 20 20 ish inch root ball somewhere between 20 and 24 inch root ball so this weighs a couple hundred a couple hundred pounds and they they dig these out of the field and then they wrap the root ball in burlap and then they put a wire cage around it and then it's secured on with twine so that's a b and b holding the roots together Right. right and the soil and so he had bought one of these trees and we had brought it with the machine to this loading area with a skid steer and he has already purchased inside and he's driving his vehicle around from the front. And, you know, usually somebody would bring a truck or a trailer for us to set this big, heavy, hundreds of pounds tree in. Not to, to mention it being a spruce and right. a full four foot, not like a little sapling that's grown four feet right. tall. This is a tree that has been pruned and cut back from its original size to be a really fat, nice, full four foot conical Christmas tree looking spruce tree. Right. It is big and right. spruce trees are sharp. Right. They are Piscea pungens and pungens literally translates to ouchie sharp. <laughs> <laughs> And he pulls around, and what vehicle does he have for us to put this massive, heavy tree in? Just a regular SUV. Mm-hmm. He pulls around. Not a big one. Not one with, like, third row seating capacity. It's like an older, some Ford whatever, Escape or something. Ford Escape or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he opens the tailgate like, all right, I'm ready to be loaded. Mm-mm. And I was like are you saying you want me to load this 200 pound plus? Cause wasn't it wet? I uh, can't remember. Okay. Maybe my, my story. I, also once again, there was a time that was even shitty more wet weather. Wet, yeah. There was one of those times that it was much less. So yours was a dry, was, the, was a dry locate. I think so. Okay. Yeah. But doesn't matter. 
still you're putting a 200 plus pound piece of cargo in the back of a vehicle that isn't meant to hold that. And it's the back of an older SUV with a, a very narrow body, you know, in the, in the lift gate area. And he wants me to load this 200 plus pound tree in the back of his vehicle with a skid steer. With these hydraulic grabbers. Right. Which, you know. Kind of grab the root ball. They're kind of curved. Right. And just kind of pinch around the root ball, hold it up. And then, yeah, it allows us to kind of better maintain control of that. But it's still not a fine adjustment. Skid are not meant for driving nails. Right. It's not a delicate load unload. And so you had, what, like a few inches of clearance on either side? Maybe six inches to, one, get the tree in and then be able to open the grabbers without without destroying and smashing the inside of his car. Mm -hmm. And he says this, and he's totally serious. And I go, absolutely not. I will (laughs) not do this. Because if and when this, more like when, this... Assuming the tree can get in and the skid steer doesn't hit something and smash it. Or the tree not the get sh- damaged in the, the process. Sh- right. The sheer weight of 200 pounds of dirt on one small area of your trunk is going to break the hell out of the floor of your car and damn it. Something is getting damaged one way or the other. I don't want anything to do with this. Mm-hmm. Ended up. My boss was willing to do it. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. Have at it. He was very Wild West, though. We're just kind of like... I guess. <laughs> just like, well, we're going to see what happens. If you want that liability, fine. But no thank you from me. And they loaded the thing in the back of his SUV. And, and it worked just dangerously. barely. And off he went. Fine, good riddance, because this was absolutely one of the stupidest things I've ever seen. But well, he like, ended up coming back. Like, how did he, it's like, how did you get that out of out. your car? Right, right. It would take two or three people to get it out of there. <sighs> and he came back. He did come back. And the second time. The second time he came back, it was a, per my luck, a wet, miserable day, actively raining. And it was towards the end of the day and like maybe 30 minutes before close. And he comes back and has purchased another spruce tree and where these trees sat. So what we what we did was we created these giant divots in the ground and they were used to support this giant root ball. So instead of just having this giant root ball sitting on a flat surface that can uh, sometimes like cause it you know it might tilt or fall over especially if it's windy right so in this back area specifically where the sold area was for these bald and burlap trees there were these divots that then the root ball could sit into kind of in like pea gravel right right to give it more support to stand it upright but also what would happen in that is it would be standing water just a pool of water so it's raining it's wet and this root ball is sitting in water, so it is thoroughly soaked now. So now it is a four hundred pound root ball, and he wants the same treatment. It's going to go in the back of his SUV. That is, and this particular tree, mine, there was maybe total 
a four inch clearance. So two inches on either side of the root ball and, or I should say two inch clearance of where the grabbers would be Mm. going into his vehicle. So like there's no way to open these grabbers without touching the inside of his vehicle now. Right. And as we said, it's not a delicate process. They don't just open millimeters at a time. They just kind of... Ka-clack, ka-clack, ka-clack. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, some of the equipment we used, you know, just was a little bit older. So it, there was no way to gauge sometimes if those grabbers were going to open half an inch or three inches. Right. <laughs> so it just kind of... And it's fast. And it's, <laughs> right. Because right. the machine is at a slower idle speed. And right. when it's at a slower idle speed, the hydraulics are not quite as as fine. Right. So I'm in the skid steer and it's still raining and there's no coverage in this skid steer. And I've maintained being able to with, I mean, and it's rain or shine, you know, you kind of get that. But for it to be the end of the day now and to have made it to the end of the day without being like overly saturated to now becoming completely soaked, like just thoroughly soaked in the skid steer, having an argument with this guy about this isn't going to happen. And at one point I'm out of the skid steer because I'm looking at what he really wants me to do, knowing now that this is the same guy you had interacted with. I think it was a couple days ago or something like that. It wasn't the same day. Mm-mm. And say within within the month, I tell him same thing. No, I'm not doing this like this is not safe and I'm not going to get in trouble for damaging the inside of your vehicle. And there is zero way that I am going to be able to load this up and not touch the inside of your vehicle. And what that may do, I have no idea. Again, now an even heavier, even way over load capacity of the back of this vehicle. Right. Weight of wet mud root ball getting dropped This is 400 pounds of dispersed weight. This is 400 pounds of very consolidated weight that is now going to have to go right above his rear axle yeah. of that vehicle. And the thing that frustrated me the most was when he reached and firmly grabbed my shoulder mm. and said, you're going to do this. Mm. And I immediately withdrew nope. that sold that shoulder and said, don't ever touch me again. Mm-hmm. And he said, we're going to do this. And I said, I am not part of the weir. You know? <laughs> and once again, came to the situation where the same supervisor mm-hmm. who loaded this again for you went and loaded the same thing into this guy's vehicle. And sure enough, when he opened the grabbers, whack inside of the vehicle and made this massive scrape on the inside siding of the right side of his vehicle. And he acted frustrated by the fact that that had happened. By the exact thing that two different people had told him would happen. Right. <laughs> but he didn't seem to make any complaint about it and then wasn't enthused by my presence there at mm. all, but was very appreciative of for finally doing it and doing what the customer asked mm-hmm. to be done. Mm-hmm. And it was at that point that I finally went to a different supervisor and said, we need to put a clause that says we will not load B&Bs into the back of SUVs, to which at that time, that current supervisor or that other supervisor said, yeah, we're not supposed to. I was like, is yeah. that in the rule? Book? He's like, no, he's like, that's just 
what we know. Like that's just common regular common sense. Yeah. Like, no, we're not going to load a B and B into the back of an SUV. And I was like, we need that in writing. I was like, we need to have that in writing to showcase to people saying we are not going to do this. Oh, oh, I remember I missed a step prior to loading this up. I went and hand writ something up my own little contracts. Like if we're going to do this, you're going to sign. And so I wrote essentially we're not liable. Right. Per customer's requests, we are loading a very heavy, large B&B tree into the back of an SUV. It has been stated that it is not recommended and we are not liable for any damages, something along those lines. And I signed it. It was Mm -hmm. handwritten. Mm -hmm. And then I had him sign it. Yeah. And he hated that I was like we're not doing this and I kind of implied that once he signed that then I was going to load up his tree sure and then I still just (laughs) over to go do it the same guy who did it willingly before oh loaded mine oh okay interesting I guess I thought oh any okay Mm -hmm. well whatever and I'm Um, leaving all these names yeah I figured yeah anyway yeah so I I had him sign this thing under the pretense of I'll load it up as soon as you sign it and then I still had him wait and (laughs) had someone else do it because I'm not touching this but at least I had to sign it and sure enough I'm glad we did and that's when I gave it to the other garden center manager at the time and not the production manager who was the one who loaded it up Mm -hmm. um and the garden center manager was like okay well I don't know how much this piece of paper holds up in law, but it's surely better, better than, than nothing. nothing. Yeah. And yes, he gave me the authority to put something in writing and have that there posted at the tree information hut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So sometimes uh, just some wild stuff can happen in retail. <laughs> right. All right. Well, those are our interesting and we could go more. We could totally rattle off more stories. I'm sure but we'll come up per, with some for, per time for constraint for this episode. We're going to cut it off here and have a new episode for you guys next week. Yep. This has been the Take It or Leave It podcast. I'm Nick Farrington. I'm Ethan Wise. Don't forget to get any of our information from the links at the bottom of the episode release. Uh, you'll find some interesting stories and Give us a thumbs up, a like, a follow, a rating on anywhere you will listen to this podcast or our Instagram or Facebook page. Yep. Thanks so much, guys. Till next week. Toodles. Bye.